and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 87. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello! Today we'll be discussing the 21st episode of season 4, We're So Screwed Part 3, La Bamba. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of this week's episode. After their failed rescue attempt, Scorpius explains that before they leave, they need to destroy the Scarin flower bunker. After all other options fail, the crew ends up agreeing to Scorpius's plan, only to have everything go horribly wrong. With the crew stuck in an elevator, John decides to set off the nuclear bomb in order to destroy the flowers and give them all time to escape. So this is the last episode of our three-parter, and it really is all about escaping the Scarab base. So John and the crew are definitely playing defense now that the riot has been crushed and their escape foiled, but they're still not prisoners. And so when the, op- so when the episode opens, John is still wearing the nuclear bomb, and the Scarabs and the Peacekeepers, they're all doing the political act of, like, it was all a big misunderstanding. But meanwhile, there's, like, all these threats going back under the surface, and it's kind of great to see. Yeah, I have to admit, as much as last episode I was kind of giving the whole three-parter a hard time, I think I found that this episode was so confusing. Um, I was just so confused by this episode. <laughs> oh, no. The main reason I found it so confusing was because the setup is so quick here. Like everything happens one right after the other. And the editing in this episode just was not that good because there would be like a scene, a cut to a commercial. And then the next scene, it would be like something had clearly happened in between these two moments. But we don't know what it is. And no one gives any reference to it. And we're just kind of like... Okay, guess that. I don't know. I I did. I found the I found the editing really confusing this episode. But okay, let's actually start. All right. I didn't find it super confusing, but that's you know sometimes that happens. Um, but yeah, I kind of also you know because I'm pulling the audio clips, I watch it twice, so I think I you know you get something a little bit on the second rewatch. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really is a fast setup. You're absolutely right about that. And if you're not paying attention, you could miss it because there is a lot of double speak going on. So let's jump right in with the first quote, which is basically after they've been caught, the Scarens have surrounded them um, on the floor on their way to Dargo's shuttle. And Stalik has this to say to John. You'll be delighted to hear my guards were able to secure the rest of your crew as well. Coincidentally, as they were also nearing exits. Like yourselves, I'm sure they were simply trying to avoid any entanglement in violence. Where are they? There are guards placed to ensure their well-being. Were you planning to leave? Temporarily. Grazer called with another offer. But you had a right going on. We didn't want to bother you. We decided to take our own car. I'm glad you didn't. Base defenses have been placed on highest alert. Any non-Scarran vessels will automatically be targeted and destroyed. We're very lucky. We'll transport you to the carrier. It's very kind. My pleasure. John. 
so so you remember last episode when we were talking about at the end like who do we think is the bigger batter Scarin, Anka or Empress Dalik and I kind of went on the side of Anka because she's unpredictable and kind of scary and uh and you picked Stalik because he's like this major politician he's clearly got his position through smarts this uh, this scene right here makes me kind of go yeah Stalik is definitely the more dangerous of the two right because <laughs> he's got this like very smooth kind of tone of voice as he's explaining that oh we are only going to protect you we know you didn't want to be violent and yet it really is completely and 100 percent uh hey we got your peeps now, and you are kind of screwed at the moment because we are going to shoot you if you try to escape. Oh, yeah. I just love it. I, I think I have to agree. This whole episode, Stalik kind of strikes me as this interesting balance between brains and brawn. He's clearly very political, but he also really clearly has this like very violent, very scaring way of managing his people. Because essentially throughout this whole episode, it's like anytime anybody doesn't live up to his expectations at all, he's like, by the way, if you don't do this, I am going to have you killed. And <laughs> it definitely is like a good morale booster i don't know it definitely okay no that is not a morale booster it's called a motivator because you want to live very different <laughs> okay yeah it's not like scorpius who's talking to the better natures of the peacekeepers when he says you want to do the right thing for the peacekeepers don't you you know that's a morale boost as you're manipulating the people to like say take control of bylar crace's command carrier oh man like he did at the end of season one i love early scorpios so much <laughs> so they get everybody back together stalik has them all meeting kind of in this room and then they're all kind of discussing like okay well the riot worked but it didn't work because we're all still here. Now what are we going to do? And then they have this moment where they're like, well, maybe we can just blast our way out with Lola. And Stalik has at this point told the guards like, hey, we got into Dargo's ship and we copied everything. They copied all the files, all the data. And he's like, okay, just leave and like make sure that um, nobody sees you. So Dargo, mm -hmm. when they're in this conference room, he tries calling to Lola to, you know, get the ship to do something and the ship mm -hmm. doesn't do anything. So now they know that they don't have another way out. And also during this scene, there's the confrontation between John and Scorpius who John thinks, wow, Scorpius just clocked, cold clocked Aaron and we are captured again. And it's all his fault that we weren't able to escape. And here where we, we, you know, we left the end of the last episode, not sure what Scorpius's motivations were because, mm -hmm. you know, we had that reveal scene where he was like working for Stalik for 10 cycles. And here he's like, well, I knew your plan wouldn't work because it was a stupid ass plan. And so I vetoed it. Basically he pulled a, <laughs> he pulled a Nick Fury and, uh, <laughs> And basically saying, you would have been shot down. And as we now know, because Stalik had already put the, the battles, the put Katratsi on lockdown, there was a good chance that they might have been shot down. Is Scorpius really protecting them? Is he not really protecting him? John is pissed as all get out about this, which, you know, I can't really blame him, you know? Yeah, I can't really blame John here. But so then Anka walks in and she kind of makes threats and she has her guards with her and she like again pushes John down on the table and is like threatening him and then we have the cut to credits and then when we cut back 
they've somehow gotten out of that situation. They have literally no resolution for it. And then it's just Scorpius and John talking together. And that's what I'm saying about like, I think the fact that the beginning, the first 20 minutes or so of this episode is so fast paced that like as a viewer, you end up making connections that you mm-hmm. kind of, I, it's not like I wish you didn't have to make. Cause it's like, I guess we didn't necessarily need to see that resolution, but we kind of did because she mm-hmm. comes in and she's essentially like, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe you guys. I know you were trying to escape, but then we don't see how they get out of it. Did she just walk away with them? Like, knowing that she knew they knew like you know or did you know (laughs) but everybody knows that they were trying to escape so that part didn't really strike me she's just the one who's very blunt about it right Mm -hmm. she doesn't have Stalik's political acumen where he's going to pretend it's all still a truce party hey we're still having negotiations while he's secretly like deactivating their weapons he's got someone else working on deactivating the nuclear bomb Mm -hmm. and you have Anka being like the heavy coming in and saying you don't scare me John Crichton and basically being intimidating to them Mm -hmm. so I mean I get what you're saying about like it kind of going from one thing to the next but yeah it didn't really bother me so much I don't know (laughs) it's just one of those things this is I think one of our places where just our perception of it just differed just you know two different people watching the same show so then we get Scorpius and John and they're talking together in this side room after Anka leaves I guess Mm -hmm. and I want to play that because it's really interesting Scorpius has like I don't want to say heartbreaking because my heart never breaks for Scorpius. I don't love him (laughs) that much. Like I like him as a villain. I think he's like right up there. But at the same time, I'm like, this is kind of hilarious to me. Yeah. So to set this up, um, the first half of the conversation is basically Scorpius telling telling John about the flowers, right? So it's called Crystillium something something, but we're just, or Crystirium. So it's called Crystirium, Crystirium something something. I can't remember the last part of it. Um, but that's the flowers we saw in the vault down there. And he's like, you know, that was what I was torturing Stark about in the Aurora chair when the end of the first season. And that's oh, because Stark used to be, you know, helping the death rites of the Scarens. So he actually learned about why the Scarens use and eat this flower, which is apparently a really, really close-kept secret of the Scarens. So secret, in fact, that the Kalish and the Cherids don't know why the Scarens revere this flower so much. And so he's saying, basically, I know the wormhole information, you're acting, you were too slow on getting it to me, or I was too slow on getting it from you, but destroying this flower will hurt the Scarens now. And so that was an objective I had, you know, what, three or four cycles ago, four cycles ago now, three cycles, end of season one, three cycles ago when he was torturing Stark. And it is still an objective that it, what we have to do. And this is how we're going to get out. I don't know exactly how Scorpius thinks the, you know, destroying the flowers is going to like get them out, but you know, sowing chaos. I think what he's saying is that he thinks that if they destroy the flowers, it's effectively going to set the Scarens back. And then Mm -hmm. his plan to destroy the flowers also gives them a way out. Yeah. But again, some distraction or something. Yeah. Like like distracts them or like, but again, now, now that I'm puzzling it out, I'm like, they still have all of those like auto weapons outside. Yeah. Now that I right. think about exactly. it. <laughs> so it still seems like, you know, basically his pitch to John is, look, if we destroy the flowers, we'll be able to get out without actually clarifying that part of the process. 
so that's kind of the first part of the discussion. And while this is going on, and we'll hear it in the clip of the second half of the discussion, which we'll get to in a sec, is Harvey is in John's head. And John is checking in with Harvey about the truth, mm-hmm. about what what uh, Scorpius is telling him. And it's kind of a great little scene. And it opens with John saying, you know, what have I told you about smoking in my head? Because Harvey has conjured up a cigarette for John, who is a cop in a black and white scene. And, and Scorpius is basically a, a thug that's being interrogated by him. But then we get to the second half and he's verifying as we go what Scorpius says. And I want to want to play that for you. We had a deal. I help you rescue Aaron's son from the Scarrans. You give me wormholes. Boss says, lay low. Don't go near him anymore. Give him some peace. But obviously you betrayed our contract, yes. But you know what? You went and left him behind to die. You had no intention of returning for my rescue, did you? Fail safe. You screw the boss. I find a way to get you reinterested. You're trying to lay this off on me? You see, if my hero clone has returned, it is only because you have betrayed me. You're trying to say Harvey's back because of me? You should honor your contracts, John. No. No contract. You betrayed us. We had a deal. No! He screwed us! And now you get on your high horse. We had a deal. Hey! You took a bribe. You banked the cut, but when the heat's on, you're just another dumb copper doing his job. Unbelievable. Hey! Look at these little beauties. Would you have left me to perish with the scallops? Under the circumstances. Yeah. Hey, he's right, you know. We're brothers from different sides of an imaginary line. Good, bad, bad, good. Your side, my side, my side. Sit down! So, here we are. Cadaver and Hutch. A team. What now? We must destroy the flowers. And if I say no, I will attempt to accomplish the task myself. However, rest assured, mine is now the only path of Catrazzi. Hey, now you better listen to him, screw. He's smarter than you. You used me. We use each other. You're better at it. Clever. When it goes off, plan on being nearby. I love their Scorpius's complete outrage that they were not going to come back for him. He's like, and it takes him a moment to realize it too, which is so funny because they've had this whole conversation. And then um, John's like, well, what'd you do about putting Harvey back in my head? Blah, blah, blah. And you have wormhole knowledge. And Scorpius is like, what? And then he's like, you weren't planning on coming back for me, were you? And he's like, but we had a d-. It's so funny. I'm like, dude, Scorpy, like, you've betrayed John. John has betrayed you. I do not know why you think he likes you. <laughs> but I think that's that whole false, you know, closeness that he's always had with John. And even some real closeness that he's had with John simply, be, you know, the torturer-torturee relationship. Mm-hmm. And... They have intimate knowledge of each other. He has bared his soul to John in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. that he hasn't with other people because uh, he's trying to convince John to work with him. And because of the torture, he has seen John's innermost feelings and and thoughts and things in the Aurora chair. So, So there's this intimacy that I think can lend this false 
you know, feeling of really closeness. And he even said it in last episode when he told Salik, John trusts me more than he knows he does. But maybe he was reading off of that, that, hey, John came back for me. Clearly, he trusts me a little bit. He wants to get help me out of this jam. And meanwhile, John is like, you know what? We're going to leave him behind if we can. Yeah. You know, and that's what they do. I mean, this is even the first time they've tried to try to do that. And and here, of course, it backfires once more because we have to we can't leave Scorpy behind. But yeah, and there's there's a lot going on there with I also feel like with John shouting at at Harvey in his head Mm -hmm. where he's very calm on the outside with Scorpius in person. And I just find that, you know, that dichotomy interesting as well, because John is clearly pissed off about this, mm-hmm. you know, whole situation in the first place. And now realizing that he was played by Harvey because Harvey was basically sticking up for Scorpius because John betrayed him. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that I think part of the reason John is so mad at Harvey is because John does have that close relationship with Harvey. Harvey's mm-hmm. betrayal matters way more to John than Scorpius's inevitable to betrayal. <laughs> Curse you <laughs> and your inevitable betrayal. Betrayal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Harvey Harvey is his, basically his roommate in a lot of ways. And Harvey has come through for John where Scorpius mm-hmm. hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And more than that, I mean, back in season three, John really was relying on Harvey as a sounding board. He was really relying on Harvey's insight in a lot of key ways. And so then to know that Harvey, who he'd kind of separated from Scorpius as like, oh, this is like an annoying guy that kind of makes me sound crazy, but... You know, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do? But that Harvey chose Scorpius over him. I think that's what really rankles him. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Scorpius says to John, you should honor your contracts. And I was wondering and trying to think back to what we know about Scorpius honoring his contracts. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think of Natira in the end of season two, where where there's this whole double cross going mm-hmm. on where Natiro is trying to, to sell back or give back the ingots that were the spider things that of course the Moira crew stole and it backfired on them because they were destroying the ship. And then, you know, you know, what does Natira owe Scorpius and what does Scorpius owe her? And like, I can't remember if he honored the bargain with her or, and she was the one breaking faith, but like is Scorpius huh. someone who keeps his contracts. That's a good bargain with people. I guess because he seems like the kind of guy who, I mean, we've seen him literally use people as disposable things, you know? Mm-hmm. But anything I, for the mission. Yeah, anything for the mission. I, I don't know. Yeah, because he doesn't even seem that mad about John's betrayal in Into the Lion's Den. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I think he was actually pretty upset about that in Into the Lion's Den. <laughs> Yeah, he was definitely really upset, especially at the time. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you know, here he's come to John again. He keeps kind of circling back to John in a way that kind of is, I don't know, weirdly forgiving. In this whole conversation, I don't know if this answers your question. For me, the moment that really sticks out is when John says to him, you betrayed me. And then Scorpius says back to him, ah, but you're learning quickly. You know, or or mm-hmm. I forget the exact wording, even that we just listened to it. Or like manipulate, manipulate, or we're using each other. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of this indication that Scorpius is like so used to being the one using that like having somebody use him like really mm-hmm. rankles at him, I think. 
you know? Yeah. Like, it really irritates him that John is getting <laughs> good and is getting better in some ways than Scorpius is at using him. Yeah, yeah. And it's... <laughs> You know, he compliments John on bringing a nuclear bomb to the negotiations. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of, you know, back up your threats with a really big threat, mm -hmm. you know. It actually, and maybe it's because I'm reading a lot of Star Wars fic right now, but it also felt a little bit like the Sith Lord complimenting his apprentice on, you know, touching his anger and learning the dark side of the Force kind, mm -hmm. of, kind of situation. It's like Scorpius has taught John to tap into his inner bad guy in order to to get things that he wants, which is basically his freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Scorpius has convinced John about the flowers a little bit. He's convinced him that this is what Scorpius wants and that Scorpius has a plan to get them off the base. Mm -hmm. I want to briefly talk about the flowers because, to be honest, this was another point where I was so confused, <laughs> which is that... Fair. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... Yeah, this one, if I had... I did remember this information from from way back this is the part of the episode that i did remember of like what the flowers meant to the scarabs yeah like i get it but also i'm so confused by the entire conceptual like world building around it where i'm like <laughs> i'm not 100 percent they thought this through okay which is this <laughs> so apparently scarabs naturally are pretty stupid which we've seen because all their grunts are grunts you know right and you can see it in the shape of their head which ones are probably more evolved than others mm -hmm. And so apparently these flowers, the Crystherium flowers, they, if you eat them, it makes you smart. It's like a literal flowers for Algernon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they only grow in certain areas. And so pretty much Catrazzi is like one of the areas where they grow. And so Scorpius's whole argument is like, if we destroy them here at Catrazzi, it will set the Scarens back hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And so I... I wasn't confused. I'm not confused about the idea of like something making you smarter, like whatever, you know, that's in a lot right. of sci-fi, you know, Jessica Jones, that sort of thing where like you take something and it makes you smarter and faster, stronger, et cetera. Yeah. You know, born legacy. Yeah. Is another one with the born series in general, born series in general. Yeah. Born legacy. Oh, I love that movie so much. <laughs> I know I'm like in the minority, but like, I just loved that movie. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I liked it too. So then my puzzlement and my kind of bigger question was, is Catrazzi the only place that it's grown? And if it is, how are they feeding the entire Scarin population on that tiny little, you know, greenhouse? Mm -hmm. And then how much do they need to eat? And is it one of those things <laughs> where like, if you eat it once, it pretty much like, is it one of those things where like, if you a baby ingests it, then that baby becomes smart. And then the adults are just eating it for funsies. Or, and then also, if it's not the only place that this is grown, because that makes more sense to me, mm -hmm. then why does Scorpius think that you know, only destroying this one place. Because Sorby seems to think that if you destroy this one place, it's going to set the entire Scarin Emperor Empire back. So here's, here's my answer to that. I think it has to do with the matriarch flower. Okay. So I do think that it is grown in multiple places under these really specific conditions that Katrazzi is set up to provide for the flower. We don't know what they are. We just know that they, it's got really, really high maintenance flower. But here we have the matriarch, and I don't think it's quite spelled out, but I feel like the whole goal that Scorpius has is you kill that, you know, like that source flower, mm -hmm. right? That's the one that's like from which all the other flowers 
you know, derive or something from that flower is needed to pollinate the other flowers in other locations. But if you, if you kill that one, it's like, then you, the other, yes, the whole, all the flowers at this place will die, but then the other ones at other locations won't be able to propagate properly through the future. Okay. That's my interpretation of it. I'll accept that, actually. I'll accept that as headcanon. Because this yeah. was like another one of my things, which spoilers for Black Panther. So if you haven't seen it, skip forward like five seconds. But like, you know, that scene in Black Panther where he's like, burn all the flowers. And I'm like, I find yeah. it really hard to believe that like in a society as advanced as Wakanda, they don't have seeds. Like they've never, mm-hmm. they've never been like, hmm, what would happen if we had like a, like a fungal infection <laughs> or something? And so... I imagine they still have seeds for like the magic Black Panther flowers. And that's right. the thing with like these flowers where I'm like, okay, but they have to have collected seeds at some point. <laughs> but if they're really hard to grow and maybe they, maybe this, this matriarch flower is how they are able to, you know, do it. I don't know what this biology of this flower is and they never really get into much detail beyond that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's Farscape. They have weird science on Farscape, yeah. so I just kind of let that one go. <laughs> on like a sliding <laughs> scale in between science that makes sense on Farscape, like because sometimes they do do science that makes sense, and fetal DNA, like <laughs> fetal DNA memories. This one is definitely on the makes more sense side. Yeah, I'll go and with And I like... don't know what their, like, their shipping is, but you see, so, uh, you know, they have hierarchy, right? The Scarens, mm-hmm. and I think you know the the Cristerium is like reserved for the noble classes and the scarens who have human sized mm-hmm. face as opposed to the elongated face so i think you know they don't have to give it to all scarens they're mm-hmm. reserving it for the higher ups because that's how they maintain power over the empire mm-hmm. right it's like deny the masses make sure it all gets con- congregated into the the hands of the 1% basically yeah so you don't have to have an extensive distribution system and they probably have like, you know, several strategic places where they want, to, where the emperor and his cronies, because the emperor is probably deciding who gets it mm-hmm. too. We heard in that first quote, John saying as an excuse for why they were trying to leave is like, oh, Kreza had an offer for us. So we were going to the command carrier. So they actually end up over on the command carrier. So John and Aaron end up going over to the command carrier where Greza kind of loses her cool you know her cool we're trying to keep this clean for the explicit so we don't have to have the explicit rating on but yeah basically loses her cool about john messing up the negotiations and uh she has a little bit of of a one-on-one conversation with him and uh this is it oh i i also want to explain that this was like another one of those random cut scenes because in that mass conversation where they were trying to figure out a way off the base without going with scorpius's way they kind of mentioned like okay, well, could we actually, we, we just used her as an excuse, but could we actually go with Greza? And so in mm-hmm. this conversation, it's clear that Aaron and John have gone to Greza to say, hey, could you take us out of Scarin space? And her response is essentially like, no, they've got weapons focused yeah. on us. We can leave, but we can't leave with you. And then yeah. she and John have a one-on-one conversation. All that astonishing wormhole knowledge and still you will not share it with us. You came in here big and bold dancing on tabletops and look at you now begging for scraps. I may be jammed, possibly dead, but I'm not begging you can get that fantasy out of your head. In my hands, you can have peace. I can have peace. I have been in your hands. There's no peace there. 
just power. You are so self-righteous. I have used all my skills, all my resources for one perfect chance at peace. And because of you, it is gone. And I am... Frown. Screwed. Raped. Welcome to the universe, Commandant. I just love hearing Greza at the end of her rope. I don't like her, but, you know, she has been like the calm, cool, collected. I have a plan. I've got the authority from high command. You know, she has basically, you know, steamrolled over Scorpius, who was our great villain from earlier seasons. And here she is trying to negotiate peace with the Scarens and trying to bluff her way with wormholes and John has stymied her at all ends and here they are where he stymied her again and then messed up his own play with the Scarens and she is just you know her voice when she's just saying you have messed up big time it's just like I don't know it's great to hear her kind of you know have her comeuppance of like nothing is going her way for once mm-hmm. yeah and I love that John throws in the word raped there mm-hmm. because I think that that's actually his biggest issue with Greza. I don't think he has yeah. an issue with this idea of peace. And I think that if Greza had come in and not raped him, <laughs> then right. he would have probably been like not team Greza because he's never going to be team peacekeeper, but he also wouldn't have on purpose messed with her at every opportunity. Do you know what I mean? And I mean, some of yeah. those were accidental. Like, let's give John some credit. Like, sometimes it was just accidental, wrong place, wrong time. And I also really love that he points out here that for Greza, Greza sees peace, but the people that are under her heel, the people that she's selling out, they're not seeing peace. Because John says to mm-hmm. her, you know, he's like, I've been in your hands and I don't see peace. I just see power, you know? And yeah. it's kind of, it's like what to her looks like peace is actually just the continued subjugation of all the people that the peacekeepers have under their heel. And also probably, you know, the loss of the Luxons, you know, mm-hmm. the loss of a significant amount of space, you know? Yeah. And also just the abuse of power too, mm-hmm. because, you know, by raping him back in the early episodes of this season, she basically proves beyond a shadow of a doubt to him and to the viewers, I hope, that she does not deserve to have that kind of power over anybody because she will use it for whatever she wants and whatever her agenda is. And currently it's aligned with the high command trying to get you know peace with the Scarens. But I think you're absolutely right. They want power for the peacekeepers. It's all about the power and the balance of power. It's not about saving anybody. Mm-hmm. It's about saving themselves, but you know, ultimately they are not there for the people who are on their planets. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I think that it's also clear because whenever she talks about peace, she always talks about saving sebation lives, but I don't even Mm -hmm. think she means sebation lives. Like I don't think she necessarily cares about like random colonists. She means saving peacekeeper lives. It's her talking point, you know, it's for trying to convince allies because she is a diplomat. Mm-hmm. She is the commandant who is a diplomat in the way that she has gone to other other people. She's gone to the Scarens trying to negotiate something because she is not in a position of power at the negotiating table, right? Mm-hmm. So she's got to broaden it. She's got to say, hey, we have this shared, you know, reason to try and go up against the Scarens together. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it also reminds me a lot of bringing home the beacon when she and Anka are having these conversations. Because Anka, at least, is kind of trying to go about gaining power in a very scaring way to me. You know, Mm -hmm. like her, it's very straightforward, very like based in control, power, physical strength. You know, and we see that a little later too, which is so like hilariously (laughs) funny. But Greza is kind of echoing something she said in Bringing Home the Beacon where she's like, sure, yeah, I'm using sex as power, but like, I'm going to use every weapon in my arsenal. And that's kind of what she's Mm -hmm. echoing here with John. And then also kind of John, you know, she kind of points out like, well, John's being so self-righteous and how dare he look down on her kind of thing. And he's like, it's better to have honor, you know, (laughs) than to have whatever you've got. (laughs) Right, right. And, And just the acknowledgement from John too, that his whole position in all of this since he's arrived in the uncharted territory uncharted territories and this is what he talked about last episode when he was talking with Stalik is like he has always been hunted he has Mm -hmm. always been screwed over by the people in power he has always been you know an object to obtain not a person to let live his life right and you know he says you know screwed and frelled and of course raped and it's just like that is his constant state of being and he has, you know, there's no reason for him to, to think otherwise that anything's going to be better because the peacekeepers were the ones who started this chasing him. Mm-hmm. So after Greza shoots down their plan of possibly leaving on her command carrier, they have to go with Scorpius's plan. Right. And before we do that, I want to have a brief interlude where Aaron and Braca, what they left the room, we did get to see them walking out and Aaron walked over to medical and that's all we see all of that little bit. So she's she went to the medical facilities on uh, the command carrier. I also want to point out something kind of hilarious about that for me because she goes and like Brock is going to go in with her and she's like, do you have to watch? And he's like, no, I guess not. And so he's like, just watch her, you know, like make sure she comes out. Wait for her here. Yeah, wait for her here. Yeah. And then I'm also kind of like, Aaron, I mean, I'm 99% sure that they don't have HIPAA in the peacekeepers. So <laughs> whatever you're going to reveal or whatever is going to be revealed to you, which I'm pretty sure is who's, you know, who's the baby daddy, you know, yeah. uh, is immediately going to be known by Braca. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, personal space bubble, right? Yeah. So they are all back on the Scarin base, Katrazzi. And they've split up. So Chiana and Dargo go to check out Lola and what's going on. And they are allowed on the ship. And everything looks normal, but Dargo gets a funny smell. So he's like, okay, reboot. So he's basically doing the equivalent of shutting down the computer and restarting it from scratch, from safe mode. So that whatever the Scarens did to his ship, you know, they can get back control of it. But it's going to take three yarns. So that happens. And then Scorpius goes with Rigel and Noranti to go find Stark because he says, oh, the Stark that was torturing me was a Byloid. And I feel like this is one of the bad exposition moments because it was just like, oh, I knew it all along. It was Stalik protecting me from Anka. And it's just like, okay, I guess I have to go with it because there's not enough time in this episode to make that interesting. Well, also, I'm just so, I was so puzzled by that. I was like, for what purpose? (laughs) I know, right? Like, for what purpose would you buy Lloyd Stark? Although it does make sense then now why Stark was there at all because, like, apparently. The Scarens were after him, I guess, to continue helping with death rituals or something. 
I don't know why. The, it was never made clear why the Scarens were after Stark. But he got captured by them. He got byloided. And I think the explanation that's kind of thin that's given is that, oh, the real Stark would never torture Scorpius, which I actually don't really buy. I don't buy that at all. (laughs) It gave them more control over Stark because they could program him to do what they wanted as a byloid. Stark is crazy. I could 100% see him torturing Scorpius. Whatever show. Oh, me too. And Noranti has a couple great lines where she's like, Who's Stark? And Rigel says, Another crazy person who has the wrong number of eyes. And it's just great. <laughs> and so while they're searching for Stark, Aaron and John are back with their nuclear bomb and, and they're they're talking about uh plan E, which just stands for elevator. And while they're talking, the bomb is deactivated by the Scarabs. They figured out how to deactivate it remotely somehow, hand wave. Um, and so suddenly, <laughs> no one has. They don't have their basically their safety net of like having a bomb tied to John's life. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, the Scarabs are all after them, and they're like accelerating the plan for the elevator. So this elevator plan it comes from Sukozu and her friend, the Kalish, right? Mm-hmm. And. They call a drilling elevator, So, um, but this in the same elevator shaft as the one in the previous episode that goes down to the Crysterium chamber. But because it has drills on it, it can drill through rock and create a new shaft and potentially get them out of the base. And that's why they take that one. And so her, they all run for the elevator. Um, so John, Aaron, Dargo, Chiana, Scorpius, Sokozu make it. Her buddy brings the skeleton key that's like, it'll override everything because they changed the codes. He gets shot while he's hand doing the handoff. They go into the elevator and down to the Crysterium chamber. And Noranti and Rigel are hiding somewhere else looking for Stark. We'll get back to them at the end. They don't have a whole lot to do. Mm-hmm. But Down in the Crysterium chamber, everything seems to kind of be going to plan a little bit, you know. So Scorpius raises his gun and he's explained that they have to kill the mother plant and everybody else is like, whatever, we don't care. Get the drill working. (laughs) And um, he raises this gun and he goes to shoot at the mother plant, but they put a force field around it and he's so mad. And what really gets me about this is like, Scorpius has been Scorpius has been stymied before by John, by Natira, like we've seen it before by Bylar, you know, at the end of <laughs> um, Into the Lion's Den, and yet at this moment he actually like really loses it in a way that we really haven't seen him ever do. Because even when he went mm-hmm. off on Bylar at the end of season one and was kind of like, "Why do you make me use my strength?" You know, yeah. It still felt different than it did here because here he's so, this has been his life's work for like five or six years now. Not only that, it was his backup plan to wormholes, mm-hmm. right? The wormholes kind of fell into his lap when John came into uh, his life in uh, the end of season the end of season one but he had been torturing stark for this information about the flowers Mm -hmm. and so this was his backup plan to wormholes because they couldn't get wormholes to work Mm -hmm. and so while they're shouting at things in there sukozu is having basically a hacker battle with the kalish up uh with the scarens who are trying to take back control and john and dargo have this great little banter about they're trying to override our override so we're trying to override the override of our override something like that but it's cute and and the, so the elevator doors are starting to close and Shiana is like bracing them open 
But they eventually lose the battle with the overrides. Dargo goes, gets them out, and then they go hide in the flowers because there are dun 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 four scarens coming down mm-hmm. the elevator that has been recaptured. Which actually has to be one of the funniest moments of this like whole episode because <laughs> it has like essentially the scarens doing the equivalent of like listening to elevator music for, like and it keeps flashing back to them and this episode isn't super funny but that was one moment where I was like this was cleverly done yeah so I'm going to play uh the little scene where they are um hiding in the flowers and the scarens are on their way down hey did you get my bomb what bomb. I can't believe it. I left a nuclear bomb in an elevator oh that's all right you've done worse these weapons will be useless if they're Scarens. It's gonna be Scarens. She cannot be taken alive, John. Be quiet. Am I wrong? Are we frail? No, there is a way. I am not like normal Kalish. There are others like me. We're part of a resistance movement dedicated to overthrowing Scaran domination. We are genetically engineered to kill Scarens by emitting an intense radiation that specifically destroys their heat-producing gland. Did anyone else know about this, or is it just me? (sighs) Okay, Sakozo, go ahead. Not without a promise first. If the Scarens were to learn there are others engineered like myself, They would kill millions of innocents to root us out. Sokozo, we're a team. Your promise is safe. Gods. Dago, Scarron's very good at retrieving the truth. We're not going to be tortured again. Agreed. Agreed. Go. First of all, I love how John's like, oh, crap, I left a nuclear bomb on an elevator. (laughs) (laughs) And Chiana's like, oh, you've done far worse things. And I'm like, (laughs) Chiana. (sighs) Not helping, dude. That's so funny. That's my favorite moment in this whole thing, too. Is like John being like, I can't believe I left a nuclear bomb in an elevator. Like, uh, that's so good. And then I love yeah. how Sakozu's like great reveal and everybody's kind of like, okay, cool. Like moving on. Great. Use your power. But I actually like that moment with Sakozu because she's asking them to promise not to tell anybody because she's, mm-hmm. we find out she's a freedom fighter. She's part of this resistance movement. And I feel like it's unclear from this conversation whether she is actually a bioloid or not, which was what seemed to be implied as a reveal last episode. Because she says, I'm genetically engineered to have this ability to, to kill Scarens. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be still like a slightly open question. I don't think it matters, though. Because what I really like about the scene is, is Dargo saying, hey, Sokozu, we're a team. We got your back here. Mm-hmm. And she still is not quite part of the team to trust that. But I like that he's extending that to her as being like, we really are on your side here. You know, mm-hmm. get us out of this jam. Yeah. Kind of deal. This whole conversation really focuses on her finally beginning to play with the team. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And finally beginning to like trust in the team in a way that she really hasn't done before. Mm -hmm. And I think back to the first episode in this trilogy 
when they're like, she does, she doesn't know yet. You know, she hasn't learned yet, you know? And then at this point, cause the rest of them would no hesitation, use their special secret power to save everybody else. Yeah. And here they're also saying Garens are going to torture that information out of any of us if we're caught. And they're like, no, we will not be tortured again. Yeah. You know, and that seems more like almost like a suicide pack kind of deal. They'd rather die than be tortured. Ooh, yeah. And I think that's also something that's very significant, not just for, for Sukozu and her trust, but also for the crew themselves. They have been put under such pressure. They've been tortured multiple times, all of them in different ways, and they're just done. They're completely done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because it's at first Aaron and John looking at each other, and both of those characters have been tortured really recently. So was Dargo in um, in the Mind episode. Mental as anything. Mental as anything. But I think John and Aaron are the ones who torture is still really present in their minds. Mm-hmm. meanwhile i want to just drop this a little bit because it kind of leads to this next quote Greza is really mad <laughs> about what's going on they find out that because they've been monitoring scaran frequencies that the scarens are all after john now and they have orders to shoot to kill and that kind of sets Greza off <laughs> for some reason i think because she's like john Crichton isn't gonna go down a hero I'm going to go down a hero. (laughs) So then she has them prime all of their weapons, like her command carrier. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit confused because she, the, her reasoning is that she tells Braca we're pursuing honor. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you thought that meant. I think it means she has worked so hard for this piece with the Scarens and she's seeing it crumble before her eyes. And she would rather go down as a martyr and give a reason for the peacekeepers to fight the Scarens and take them out and to work to protect, you know, protect peacekeeper space at all costs, even if it means starting a war. And I just feel like there's this warped sense of I'm not going to let anyone else take out my, you know, take away my grand life's work kind of deal, Mm -hmm. right? And so the only way that she can see coming back from this disaster to high command is being like, okay, I'm, I'd rather, you know, go down in a blaze of glory rather than be return shamefaced that I have failed. Mm-hmm. That's what I think it means. And I think it's honorable or not, that's how she's convincing herself to do it. Mm-hmm. And Braca's freaked out about this, by Braca's the way. He is like, really not freaked cool. Out. <laughs> so in a later scene, because we're going to get back to the elevator and what's going on with the Scarens in a moment, but I just kind of want to wrap up Grace's plot line. So Braca is super freaked out because he realizes that they're essentially in the middle of a scare and stronghold and they're priming their weapons and she wants them all to die. And we remember that there's like 50,000 people on a command carrier. So mm-hmm. Braca is, first of all, not okay with himself dying, <laughs> but he also is a fairly honorable guy, you know, for like all of his scorpy boot licking. So... <laughs> consensual his own kind of honor <laughs> yeah consensual bootlicking but so he ends up taking matters into his own hands and i want to play that quote really quickly tell me when target acquisitions are complete none there is no battle here none why are you so averse to conflict Captain? and why are you so adverse? how dare you who do you think you are captain miklo Bracker, officer of the fleet peacekeeper interplanetary service Nobody. 
we'll start a war. A war is inevitable. We sail under a flag of truce. Let us leave beneath its protection. Didn't Scorpius tell you truce with the Scarans is suicide? Ah. So the men and women of this vessel must pay for your miscalculation with their lives. It's for the great and good, Captain. And we shall all be remembered as heroes. Commandant Grazer, under Article 6, Rulu, Uniform Code of Admiralty Conduct, Section 19. Due to a state of incapacitation of judgment displayed in multiple encounters under stress, I hereby invoke the transfer of command and relieve you of duty immediately. <laughs> Officer of the deck! Weapon! Sir! Would you be so kind as to shoot this mutinous captain dead where he stands? Sorry, man. Captain Braca has already relieved you of command. Now let's get this ship out of here. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that with Braca that I just love. Because Braca's always been a pushover, right? Mm -hmm. He was like... Crace's right-hand man, and then he was immediately turned to Scorpius because Scorpius was the bigger dog in the fight who promoted him. And and then when Graza came in, he just rolled over for her and, you know, turned on Scorpius. And we had, like, all that wicked BDSM-type power plays over Scorpius and, what, the sacrifice and resurrection mm -hmm. early in Season 4. And then we, of course, later learn out that he's been loyal to Scorpius. But here, you know, you have Braca like standing up for himself to Graza, you know, to her face, relieving her of command. I don't know, it's just this nice little arc that kind of comes to fruition. Like he says his full name and rank when she says, who do you think you are? And he says it and she's like, oh, you're nothing. But he's not nothing anymore. And he's able to get the loyalty of, you know, the deck officer and arrange it so that she is relieved of command. And it is it is Braca who is now in charge. Mm-hmm. And I love how dismissive she is of like, she's not even looking at Braca when she orders his death. And mm -hmm. I, I like that for him, this has felt like a complete character arc. Like he's been with us since season one and he's finally, finally captain of, you know. Yeah. And I'm saying that to mean he suddenly feels like he has worth, he has value, you know, and he's willing to fight for, for the lives of everybody on the vessel. Like, I think it is mm -hmm. about him and it is a kind of about him not wanting to die. But I think what really galls him is that she's being so casual with all of these other lives, you know? Yeah. And he's also, for sure. And he's also making a very valid point that on the surface, because Emperor Stalik they can see that they're powering up their weapons and Salik is kind of dismissive of it. He's like, okay, I mean, we're still under truce. So if they fire on us first, just destroy them and we're still in the yeah. right. And I think that that's also what galls Braca because he's like, we could get out of this saving 50,000 lives, you know, with mm -hmm. 50,000 working peacekeepers. Yeah, and not provoke a war, not provoke the deaths of the whole command carrier. And thinking about it in that context, because I had that thought too, is like, you know, why does Braca mm -hmm. roll over so easily for all these changes in command from Crace to Scorpius to Graza? Because if he had resisted, one, he would probably have been shot dead. 
But two, if he had the loyalty of the, you know, the underclass soldiers, you know, provoking a civil, basically a civil war on a command carrier, you know, is he looking out for the interests of the soldiers underneath his command who don't have to interact directly with the commandant or Scorpius or whomever, mm-hmm. but looking out for their lives? Has that kind of been his role or goal throughout all of these changeovers? And it's something it made me think about. Well, yeah, and it also reminds me of way back in the beginning of the season when they're having that discussion about do we put this nuke or do we put this bomb on a marauder or a prowler? And he kind of comes back to just run a few more tests. And yeah, he might be saying that because it's wishy-washy, but also a marauder has a bigger crew, so that's more Mm -hmm. people that might die. A prowler, you know, you might lose a really good pilot because prowler pilots are supposed to be really good. You know, but there's value in the people who are flying them. Yeah, and that's what he he does see that, and I think that really comes through here, and it's really nice to see. Yeah, and I also love that Greza is kind of like, okay, war with the Scarin is is inevitable, and she kind of throws that back in his face of being like, well, didn't didn't Scorpius tell you that you know peace is peace is pointless? And he's like, okay, yeah, but we shouldn't have to pay for you not realizing <laughs> that sooner, and that's just like with the yeah. best comeback. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So I really like this little scene. So getting back to our friends trapped in the Crysterium chamber, Sokozu does her little thing, which is not so little. It is her floating in the air, glowing radiation bright, killing the Scarens. And everyone else has to look away and look down, but they're underneath the blast-ish thing. But it's really targeted at Scarens as a species. So we're just not going to worry about side effects for other species, for whatever that value is. <laughs> um, and then they all run back to the elevator. Because Sokozu is worn out, so she can't she's slumped over tired exhausted so dargo's the one trying to like get control of the elevator again because they're fighting again with the uh with the people up top the kalish and john has a han solo moment and just shoots the controls and severs the connection and then is like can you drive this thing and dargo's like i can't drive this thing can you drive it no well then why are you asking anyway it's really cute it's you know dargo and john banter it lasts like 10 (laughs) seconds so i didn't pull it Um, so they're in the elevator now and they get the drills working. So now they can are free from the elevator shaft and they go basically on like, um, I think they even reference it, but what the Gravitron thing mm-hmm. at a, an amusement park where you're, where you're spinning so fast that your gravity and centripetal force pushes you against the sides and you're stuck on the walls. That basically happens for like 10 minutes. I was honestly a little bit dizzy watching that <laughs> from the motion sickness. And upstairs you have Stalik and Anka and Janik all like watching this happen on like screens and sensors and stuff. So ultimately they end up back in the conference room. Who knew? <laughs> Meanwhile, Jenik and some guards <laughs> have taken like a new elevator, which leads me to believe that this is like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory situation with elevators. Yes. Yeah, so the elevator that they are in, uh, the crew is in right now, they it was called specifically because it had the drill bits on mm-hmm. it. So it is definitely a separate elevator from the regular elevator. It's kind of one of those nuanced points and it's like there and you miss it if you are in the very beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. But this is the second ep- elevator. So they go down, they look around, they're like, okay, well, the Crysteriums are all here. <laughs> Nothing really yeah. happened. And so the crew is like pops up in the conference room and then like the Chareds, there's like a discussion happening with Stalik and the Chareds. So the Chareds are like immediately right there and shooting at them. And it's actually this kind of funny little, they go to peek out to see where they are because they're clearly on the surface because they can't drill anymore. And he's like, 
weird we're in the conference room again (laughs) it's just like who knew we would end up there but anyway they are trapped and they have chariots outside of them fortunately the exterior of the uh, elevator is pretty well armored because you know it's basically a big giant drill bit Mm -hmm. it has to be pretty strong meanwhile was it rigel and naranti have gotten the real stark and they've killed the bioloid stark and we're just going to not even talk about them because it happens so quick and they are hiding near lola mm-hmm. and now lola has been rebooted so dargo can shoot the guards remotely and so they get on lola so we're just placing everybody in their pla- in their location so naranti stark rigel on lola protected by lola's shields everyone else in the elevator yeah they have to figure out how to get out of here yeah they have to figure out how a way out and they actually end up having a pretty interesting kind of conversation because Scorpius is just still really broken up about the fact that he didn't get to do the one thing he wanted to do, which was kill this flower. And then John ends up asking him a question. And so I want to play that quote. Grasshopper, how important is that mother plant? I would trade my life for its destruction. What about my wormhole debt? Of course. Rige. You and the law? Yes, Crichton. We're safe. What have you done, John? Just fix your little flower problem. You reactivated it, didn't you? Yeah. Should go off in about 60 microns. And then it explodes. Yeah. A big explosion? Hmm. Oh. God, we should have voted. All in favor, show of hands. All opposed. Three to two, Sarkozy abstains. The concussive pressure must exit through the elevator system. And the shaft. At this distance. The compartment should protect us. So, John dropped the nuclear bomb, which he reactivated. And earlier in the episode, he and Aaron are talking about reactivating the bomb. He's like, no, I can't do it in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of ambiguous then, but I think here it means that he couldn't activate it again with the dead man switches intact. He could only reactivate it again to basically do what he did here, drop it down the elevator shaft and have them get blown out basically by the explosion. Mm-hmm. There's a lot I like here. I like the I like the hilarity of John just doing this thing and then being like, "Oh god, we should have voted about this. Sorry guys." <laughs> But then also, this feels very John season four to like drop Mm -hmm. a nuclear bomb on an inhabited world and know that it's probably going to kill a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Because we don't really see it. We kind of just see it kill Jenik and then the three the three baddies that are with him. And it obviously... And the Cherids. Yeah, and the Cherids. And it obviously blows up the, you know, the Crystarium and all of that. But I'm like, I have a really hard time believing that a nuke would do minimal damage do you know what i mean yeah and especially since with the cgi they show people dissolving Mm -hmm. you know nuclear explosions they like boil 
you know, things. You can see some of the World War II testing stuff. They actually have archive photos. And one of the ones I've seen is like a, a telephone pole just boils away. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they're showing here with a little bit prettier, but the same sort of idea. And it is, it's like all, all destruction all the time right here. And then they get, they get blown out with it. But the other thing I find interesting about this quote is the beginning of it where John says to Scorpius, like, how important is destroying those flowers to you? And Mm -hmm. is it enough to wipe out what our original deal was back when he wanted to rescue Aaron? I will, you know, help me rescue Aaron and I'll give you wormhole knowledge. And now he's basically saying, you know, I don't have to give you wormhole knowledge if I destroy these flowers. And Scorpius agrees. I mean, that's how important it is to, you know, harming the Scarens and their their intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So... But what it, what I guess really fascinating, not really fascinated, but really struck me about it was that part back in that first conversation with Scorpius, where Scorpius is like, you should honor your contracts. And you can feel here that that really struck home for John, mm-hmm. like that stung. And here he is honoring his contract basically with Scorpius. Yeah. And it is true that I think that for all that, you know, I've essentially called them space hobos and space pirates a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that for John, that conversation he has with Grace is very revealing, where to him, honor is so important. And being the good guy, or as good as he can be, you know, mm-hmm. is important. And we kind of saw that a lot, especially when he was back at Earth, because I think when he was back on Earth, he was really faced with who he was and who he used mm-hmm. to be. And he used to see himself as like a good guy. And I think he's kind of stopped being able to see himself as like a good and decent guy. And this is at least one way, like if he can make these small things, if he can honor his contracts, if he can not be Greza, you know, mm-hmm. that's like his way of taking a step towards towards who he wants to be. Yeah, but I think it's it's also he can't be a good guy necessarily mm-hmm. because he has changed because the entire territories and all this the past four seasons have changed him, but he can still do the right thing mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to be a good person to do the right thing. And I think that might be what we're seeing here. Like he still is holding the universe in high regard. Like yes, he is self-righteous as Greza says, but it really is it's not it's not, you know, he doesn't hold himself to a higher standard, which is usually what self-righteous connotation mm-hmm. means. He's not thinking him he is better than they are. I mean, he is, but it's not the same kind of, oh, I'm so much better than you guys are. He still is acknowledging that he is doing terrible things, mm-hmm. but they are, he's doing them for the right reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure that's coming across the way I quite, I quite mean it, but... Yeah, I like that. I like that that you point back to Earth mm-hmm. because he's also confronted with like the worst of humanity, mm-hmm. and like they want to use the technology from the aliens to like consolidate power in the United States. Yeah, and we know how well that's gone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for certain. And also, nuclear weapons are a really Earth thing. I think that that's also a little bit key here because it's not just that he's like, oh, he's using a alien garbledygook bomb i think the fact that it's a nuke is very key here because yeah um, also it has to do with the next quote we're going to play before you leave that yeah. one though it's a very earth weapon with such you know devastating meaning on earth mm-hmm. right 
because it was, you know, the two bombs that were used in World War II destroyed cities. It was, you know, one of those those things that was basically considered a, a mistake in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of regret around it. Oppenheimer, you know, his quote, I am a destroyer of worlds. You know, there's a lot of emotional con- cultural history tied up in it. And then you have the whole Cold War where people are taking the world hostage, basically, mm-hmm. by arming themselves with nuclear weapons. And we're still kind of playing that game today. And it's not like nuclear fission bombs are unknown in the uncharted territories. The leak recognizes it as, recognizes what it is for what it is, but it doesn't carry the same destructive meaning as it does for John, and as we know it does because of our own cultural ties to that. Mm-hmm. So they end up getting out. Um, the next scene we see is everybody back on Moya, and when the when the bomb goes off, we have this. You have this little coupling up that happens within the elevator. You have oh. Scorpius cradling Sokozu because okay. she's still exhausted. You have you have Dargo putting himself in front of Chiana, who's up against the wall, kind of shielding her with his body. And then you have Aaron and John kissing when it goes down, with exchanging "and I love you" with each other because this might not work out so well. Yeah. Yeah, they aren't 100% that the that the <laughs> elevator they're in is radiation proof, which was another thing that I was kind of going to hand wave because in between Sokozu's radiation that they were pretty intimately exposed to and the fact that he just blew up a nuclear bomb, like maybe... We'll just pretend it was made of lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully the elevator was made of lead. So they're back and Sokozu and... And Scorpius are kind of talking to each other and they've decided that it really doesn't change, that everything that's happened doesn't change their feelings about each other. Jargo and Chiana hooked up, which I am actually (laughs) in favor of. um, Yeah. Because I think that Dargo has changed a lot since Mm -hmm. they were in a relationship a few seasons ago and... And and they definitely had some hints of the two of them kind of, you know, still having feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of flirty, a little bit of Dargo being protective. You know, it hasn't been as, as overt, but it's still been, they've seeded that in there. And it was really kind of nice to see them back together because I like them together. I like them together, Aww. too. They're so cute. And Pilot and Rigel and Noranti and Stark have a little moment of reunion together, which we haven't they didn't really get a whole lot to do but they have a little moment of of talking to each other and pilot saying i'm glad you're back stark and stark kind of seeming to be happy to be there (laughs) yeah it's actually really sweet because pilot's like i didn't think we were gonna see you again and stark's like i always knew we were gonna see each other again (laughs) and i'm like okay stark you can stop being a creeper anytime now (laughs) love you dude (laughs) and i I think he and noranti have hit it off and noranti's gonna go cook them all a feast yeah which rigel is really on board with and yeah. then we have John and Aaron, and he is really broken up about dropping a nuclear bomb on essentially an inhabited world. And he's kind of teary-eyed and drinking, and she's petting his hair. And then he has this interesting speech that he gives. Stark. Everything old is new again. Except the old thing's getting really old. Hi, honey. Guess what I did at work today? My war bomb. A nuclear bomb in a field of 
I could get lucky. Tomorrow I could have a bigger bomb. And then he's kind of puts his head down in his arm and is is very clearly upset. You can see the tears on his face and Aaron is very quiet and just there for him. And it's kind of heartbreaking and sweet and terrible all at the same time. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find most interesting about, about this is where he starts, which is like everything old is new again. And it really reminded me of the fact that, you know, this is our fourth season finale and every season finale that we've had has had huge destruction in it, mm -hmm. right? They destroyed a gamut base. They destroyed the shadow depository. They destroyed a command carrier. They have destroyed a planet with a nuclear bomb. Like there's been so much death and destruction and it's like, he's tired of it. And it's just escalated over, over the years, right? It's just, there's so much death that follows them. And I think he's really feeling it here with dropping the nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that it is a nuke, I want to go back to that for a moment, because he's really using explicit language here that's calling back a lot of the fears that our country has had about nuclear weapons ever since we used them in World War II. There was like this really famous political commercial where it showed, you know, a nuclear bomb in a field of flowers, you know, with like a child. And it was kind of like terrifying that literally just terrified the whole country i think that right here the show is realizing the problem with getting bigger and bigger and bigger which is something that leverage also kind of had where it's like you know first season finale was like let's go steal a bank and like actually i can't remember what the first season finale was but it was something kind of minor and then by like <laughs> they steal those it's the first and second david job oh yeah so it's like you know a museum yeah let's go all the art in the museum <laughs> let's go steal all the art in the museum and then by like the fourth season they're like let's go steal a country you know and so yeah that was third season but yeah <laughs> uh, okay i need to do a love to watch clearly clearly that is what is to be gained from this conversation but so um i think that here this doesn't necessarily feel bigger than, for example, the shadow depository being destroyed or the command carrier being destroyed. Cause like when we, those were destroyed, we saw them being mm -hmm. blown up and they were, it was like really traumatic. But here and here we didn't really see the damage, but I think John is being faced with the damage. Do you know what I mean? Like John mm -hmm. is being faced with like the fact that he became, he's become Oppenheimer, you know, he's become death. Yeah. He's not just Oppenheimer, though. He's also President Truman, who authorized the dropping of the bomb, right? Mm -hmm. So he's judge, jury, executioner kind of thing. And no one should have that kind of power. I mean, that's, that's, it's messing John up, right? Mm -hmm. And it has, over several seasons, the decisions he's made have had, had such huge consequences. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we're really going to see that through Peacekeeper Wars. You know, I think mm -hmm. that like Peacekeeper Wars really feels like kind of the conclusion of that arc. So yeah. that's pretty much the episode. It ends on John being really torn up. And then we have a new episode next up next week. And I want to remind everybody that John just happened to drop the fact that his mom has a garden full <laughs> of crustarium flowers. <laughs> Birds of paradise. But yeah, basically. And 
we know that the Charids were trying to get Stalik out. We didn't mention that fact. But Stalik exited stage left. And that's where we go into the season finale of season Not four. pursued by a bear. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Bad timing, which is what the episode we have next week. Yeah. So, yeah, we're at the end of season four, guys. Yeah. So what would you give this episode? Um, I still like this episode a lot. Um, I wasn't really confused by it. Again, I watched it twice, so that might have helped with it. So I'd still go with a four on it, mostly because I, I just like fast-paced nature of it. I really like the dropping of the bomb scene. I don't know why. It's just like, oh, and we forgot to mention that there's like a little bit where Chiana says, are we cursed? We're cursed, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> also just hilarious. So I'd still give this one maybe a three and a half. I don't think it's quite as good as last episode, but, um, you know, above average. Yeah. I mean, and I think the fact that we talked about it for so long, it's not a bad episode. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's definitely not a bad episode, but I think that I definitely preferred the first one of this trilogy and then the second one was a close second for this one for this one yeah i would say like a three and a half for me you know it's maybe Mm -hmm. even a three it's not like an awful episode by any stretch of the imagination but i also felt like there was a lot going on here and actually to be honest there was a lot going on like the Braca stuff that stuff i actually found really like compelling you know yeah for sure. And also, I don't know about you, but when Scorpius was uh, kissing Sokozu at the end, I was like, oh no, poor Braca. <laughs> nah, man, he is, if anybody is going to be okay with like polyamory, it's going to be Braca. I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Um, no updates on wardrobe watch. Uh, everyone was basically the outfits they've been in. No no costume changes. We will have our wrap-up episode for season four in two weeks. So please, please, please send us anything you want to say or talk to us about on the show. We are available to be contacted at uh, Farscape Friday Podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Tumblr, same name, and on DreamWhip, same name. Yeah, so try and get and us we that are... stuff before May 4th, please, if you're going to send us anything. Yep. And then uh, we are also at Farscape Friday on Twitter. So send us stuff there too. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.